Do you do the Elf on the Shelf? We do that. Hopefully no kids are listening. We have two of them, actually. Oh, wow. Male and a female. First one arrived shortly after my son was born, and then my daughter, a couple years later, magically a female virgin, also arrived. If one's not bad enough, I guess really, I mean, two's not any different. They end up in the same place together all the time, I guess. (laughs) Doing things together. Well, what's one of the craziest things you've done with your elf on the shelf or your elves on the shelf? Chris, we don't do anything. They move around on their own. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. What's one of the predicaments they've gotten themselves into? Well, they've been doing this for years, Chris. They're tired of predicaments. They don't do anything interesting anymore this many years in. They just simply find themselves sitting in various areas of the home. That's kind of like they're calling it in. They are on the, the backside of this. They don't need to unroll rolls of toilet paper or spread flour across our countertops or anything like that. So, Well, maybe next year you could get them to dial in through a Zoom or a Teams call. That would be amazing, actually. They just have a virtual background of our house. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 361. Chris... Read here for another week. Yes, here we are. And uh, we may or may not have an elf on a shelf being part of the podcast today. They're quiet, of course. They don't speak. So you will never know. Yeah. I mean, as far as you know, they're right there. I see them. Well, welcome one and all. Thanks for tuning in for another week of Touchpoint. A couple of things before we get to the show. Of course, we're getting towards the end of the year, end of the holiday season with all the elf talk should be pretty obvious if you're listening to this at another point in time. But if you're listening currently, would love for you to make your way out to the website, sign up for the TPS report, and ultimately take our uh, end of year user survey. You can track us down on LinkedIn and probably also find this link fairly easily. But if you go to touchpoint.health, that's the website, touchpoint.health, sign up for the TPS report. You'll see it in the top navigation there. What that does is it gets you an email all throughout the year. It comes out every Monday, five articles to get your week started, hopefully a little value add. But right now we got a little button in there that you can click through and actually take the end of your user survey. So a couple of voting elements in there. We'd love for you to play a part determining what was the best episode and guest and all that kind of fun stuff. But then there's obviously just some feedback that we'd love to have from you. So we'll pause here, give you a chance to do that again, touchpoint.health. And we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, today's topic actually was inspired by someone I was talking to uh, that wasn't really familiar with patient acquisition in healthcare and what marketing does to help support that and was asking a lot of questions. And she's a consultant by nature. And then at the end of it, she actually asked me a question that gave me pause. She said, well, where is the white space in patient acquisition? Which, first of all, the term white space really clued me in on the fact that she's a consultant. And secondly, it really gave me pause because it was hard to answer that question at the moment. So you and I both started to do some research on this, and that's what today's topic is going to be about. I'm excited to jump in. Well, the concept of white space, in most cases, implies the untapped or underutilized areas for innovation or improvement. So true white space opportunities in patient acquisition, for example, as you're calling out, lies in areas where there's a clear gap or lack of widespread adoption. So this is interesting. I think this will be really good. Just by that definition where there's a gap or lack of widespread adoption, I think there are some things that we know immediately are not in the white space that everyone does, but there are others that kind of jump out at us. In this particular case, we're really looking at some opportunities that are going to have a significant impact and differentiation. That being said, some of these are really, really hard, right? These are not easy areas of uh, understanding, but let's let's go into them. Let's start. Why don't you start with the first one, Reid? Yeah, so the first one, big, big topic, data analytics for predictive health. Yes, I would say there is ample white space around this idea of data analytics, but certainly data analytics for predictive health. How would you leverage data analytics to predict patients' health trends and proactively offer more of a personalized, you know, service or journey or solution or something like that. Yeah, and you know, the rationale around why this is white space is because many health systems that use data for operational purposes are underutilizing it for predictive healthcare. Not all health systems, but many of them do. If you start to apply it to predictive healthcare, it could really revolutionize the way patient acquisition and retention plays itself out in our space. In order to kind of ground us around this. We found an article from Technosis called How to Maximize the Value of Patient Health Data, Trends That Are Happening in 2023. So let's jump into it and let's talk a little bit about what they say and we can kind of react to the trends they're they're finding. First one they call out is leveraging advanced analytics, meaning the use of advanced analytics techniques such as artificial intelligence or machine learning that can help healthcare organizations extract insights from patient health data that would be difficult to obtain otherwise. I think you're obviously, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but you're hearing a lot more about AI and ML techniques relative to machine learning specifically is obviously going to be around data. That obviously makes sense. Yeah, and also personalizing treatment plans. We've talked about this before on the show. You could use patient health data to personalize their treatment plans based on their unique needs and characteristics. And We're seeing some advancements in that. EMR companies are starting to develop tools to allow us to do that. AI applications, again, in this space. Improving patient experience, big focus. Um, We've talked a lot about this being done off the side of people's desk and things like that, but we're starting to see more formalization around the CX 
and patient experience kind of function. So patient health data can also enhance you know, the experience by providing personalized recommendations, facilitating communications, and even, you know, the care coordination genre, if you will. And one of the last things that they see that organizations uh, can use patient health data for is to conduct research. In research that can inform and develop new treatments, new policies, advance medical knowledge, be able to communicate better with your patients, all of that, right? You have this data available that can actually shape the way you actually transform your offerings to the potential patients. You know, these are the four ways that are, are four ways that they say organizations can leverage it. But let's talk about some of the trends that they highlight that we're, they're seeing in the marketplace that are going to get there. Yeah, I mean, one I called out uh, a minute ago relative to the advanced analytics, but is the use of AI and and machine learning. So they say in here that it'll continue to play a pretty critical role, particularly in analyzing patient data, which I would agree, uh, and that doctors will use these technologies to develop more proactive models, identify patterns, correlations, et cetera. So you're seeing some of that now. I mean, I'm coming across vendors that are, are building off of this premise, aiding and supplementing uh, the way people care for patients. And then there's also this concept of patient-generated health data, or the article abbreviates it, to a four-letter acronym. Reed, here's one to add to our four-letter acronym. Oh. PGHD. Mm. We're seeing more and more of this PGHD gaining traction in healthcare as patients get more comfortable sharing their health data with providers. You could use that to also help with personalized recommendations and improve care coordination. Next on the list, they call it data privacy and security. So obviously, as the use of all of this information and data continues to grow, so will the concern around how it's being handled, right? And where does it go and what does it do and and those types of things. Obviously a big focus for healthcare organizations. Interoperability, we've talked about this uh, a couple of times before. I think we should do a whole episode around interoperability for those really techie people that want to get into it. But that has to be a focus for us because now we're getting more and more data sets out there. Standards such as the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources or FHIR, Look at that. We're getting two four-letter acronyms in this episode today. They can really help with this. An emphasis on patient-centered care. So patient-centered care, they say, will continue to be a key focus for healthcare organizations. The approach being that healthcare uh, emphasizes the importance of those patients' preferences, their values, their goals, et cetera, when they're looking to make uh, decisions about their health. Absolutely right. And the last thing that they say is a trend that they're seeing is this increased collaboration between healthcare stakeholders, not only like the healthcare team and, you know, being able to communicate with one another, but we're talking about providers, payers, patients. Patients have to be involved in decision making, as we were talking about in last week's episode, and they have to have a say in how their health data is being used. So those five trends is what this article indicates is going to be where the value of patient health data can be really realized. But one of the things that they didn't point out, which again is why it's a white space, is how you could use patient data to optimize patient acquisition. And we'll talk about that later on in today's show. But before we do, let's jump into the second major area where we feel is there's white space in this uh, in in this patient acquisition world of ours. The innovation around payment models and even affordability, uh, transparency, you know that that type of a space. So. Offering transparent pricing and innovative payment models, we're going to see more sensitivity around this around f- from patients as more of shoppers, if you will, 
And so again, how do we then position opportunities uh, for those people now that again, this has become more commercialized? The reason why we're seeing this as an opportunity is because that whole thing that you just talked about, right? The consumer, more, more and more healthcare consumers are having a larger share of wallet when it comes to their care. So how do we do this the right way? And it's interesting when we were doing research on this, we found two articles that were titled, funny enough, exactly opposite. One was price transparency is a blessing for health systems, right? It allows us to be dynamic. I'm paraphrasing here, but the article that we actually decided to kind of highlight is from our good friends over at Forbes. Price transparency, a boon for patients, but a bust for hospitals, question mark? Well, under CMS, hospital price transparency's final rule, hospitals have been required to post standard pricing information and payer-specific negotiated rates for the most common healthcare services since 2021. So we see that on the websites and there's different ways and a lot of parameters in which you have to do that. But do people look at this? Like, I don't know that people know what they're looking for or don't know that it's even there, quite honestly, in most cases. I think that's the point of this article, right? Is we're now forced to reveal these prices through these online places where you can do it. Forbes even calls the fact that our health system has, and we incentivize information asymmetry, That is, the less the public knows about our cost of services, the better economically positioned we will be as health systems. But now that we're having to reveal this price information, yeah, it's a challenging situation. And here's the point. And this article says it's challenging for hospitals and health systems, but it ultimately ends up being challenging for the consumer because the consumer gets confused. There's a lot of non-compliance in this space. A lot of health systems, even though they're asked to mandate it to do this, Fewer than 25% of U.S. hospitals have complied with that mandate to date. One of the reasons, and and I don't disagree with this necessarily, is the complexity of the pricing. The prices for most people, they say, for most healthcare services will vary, and I would even say wildly, depending on your insurance coverage, where it's provided, how complex the procedure is, does the procedure go as planned? You know, what are the hospital's negotiated rates? What are your negotiated... You know, are you on a government payer or private pay? You know, it's wild. Most businesses, it's like, okay, you've got a product and they've got money and they exchange for goods and services. You know, that's not what happens here. And so most people feel that way. They just kind of give up. They're like, look, I don't. I mean, this makes yeah, no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And But another reason for noncompliance is there's a lack of enforcement by regulators. Hospitals are not facing immediate consequences for not meeting these standards, right? What's happening is is some of them are prioritizing other areas of compliance or investment over price transparency. You know, at some health systems I worked at, I recall like when the OCR thing came around and says you have to get rid of uh, your Google Analytics, that suddenly became the number one priority over pricing transparency. There's no stick behind the law. And they say the crux of the non-compliance issue lies in the economics of the healthcare system. That, that hospitals just simply aren't incentivized enough to turn over their their prices. Hal Andrews, who's the CEO of, a, of an analytics firm actually here in Nashville called Trillion, Trillion Health, he said one of the longstanding issues that we've had in healthcare is that people thought competition was impolite, rude, you know, was something not to be discussed. This thinking is especially ironic, notes Andrews, because the people who are most focused on competition historically 
are the sisters of Catholic health systems who competition was essential. The sisters originally said no margin, no mission, because they understood the uh, business of healthcare in the U.S., right? Like you had to make money to stay in business. Providing patients this information about costs and quality of healthcare services is something that we really, you know, we hope to do. But the reality is, is that consumer-friendly formats of pricing data sets are as variable as the insurance coverage, as you talked about. The article kind of concludes by saying transparency mandates should be making hospital health plan leaders reconsider how competitively advantaged they really are. But they're kind of stuck in this swirling era of non-compliance because it's just so hard to solve this problem. Let's do this, Reed. Let's take a brief pause here. We'll come back after the break and we'll dive into the other two areas that we feel are white space in patient acquisition. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Another big opportunity for us are targeted programs for underserved populations, meaning developing specific programs or services for those underserved or minorities within a community. And I know you're working on some of that there where where you're at. In this particular case, there's a gap in healthcare equity that we really haven't adequately addressed as health systems. And we can focus on this to build trust with the community and inevitably drive patient acquisition. And so what we did is we found an article that was actually published on aamc.org called Driving Innovative Healthcare Solutions for Underserved Populations. And they actually have different areas where by doing this, we'll show some great business results. So we have a position they outline here and then an example from a hospital that's doing it. Let's go through this, Reed. Yeah, we'll go through these pretty quick. So the first one they call out is, uh, you know, providers that recognize patients that are struggling with chronic illness like diabetes, kidney disease, heart disease, et cetera, or even those that lack financial resources or live in a so-called food desert in their ability and what that does around their ability to stay healthy. The example they give is uh, the Boston Medical Center Emergency Department partnered with more than 20 clinics to screen patients for food insecurity and provide written prescriptions, really interesting, for free groceries to be picked up at the medical center's on-site preventative food pantry. So the program now, they say, feeds between seven and 8,000 patients and their families each month. So a really interesting way to think about, it's not really the business anybody would say that they're in, but obviously understanding what that does to their ability to stay healthy made it their business. That's really interesting. Here's, a, here's another one too. Food insecurity is one area, but difficulty getting to and from medical facilities. Some were physically unable to leave their homes to seek care even. So after determining a lack of transportation played a significant role in patients' high no-show rates for appointments, Denver Health began providing bus and taxi vouchers to patients 
as well as a private car service using a donated vehicle and volunteer drivers. And now they're starting to implement specialized software to order and pay for services like Lyft and Uber to get patients to and from appointments. Talk about an innovative way, right, to uh, help solve this problem. Third one on the list, inadequate housing. They say it ranks amongst the most challenging barriers uh, to good health for many individuals. Certainly those that are homeless, they tend to suffer from you know multiple chronic illnesses in some cases, resulting in them frequently ending up in the emergency department or admitted to a hospital. So in 2015, the example they call out, the University of Illinois Hospital in Chicago piloted a program in collaboration with a local nonprofit group to implement a housing first initiative. So what this did was, is it actually helped place those uh, chronically homeless patients who found themselves in the ED a lot into permanent housing. So through the program, you know, they initially assisted uh, 26 patients. The hospital pays $1,000 towards housing costs, provides case management. And in 2018, it added support for another 25 patients. So again, starting somewhere, like some of the number, you know, like 26, 25 may not seem like a lot, but that it's a lot. It's, it's making a big difference. So another area where there could be cause for underserved populations is a link between the health of students in school and academic attainment. CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, partnered with schools in their community to use a telehealth program to ensure students are getting primary care, coordinating care with the school nurse using a tablet or a laptop, and connecting with hospital nurses or doctors. This pilot program is decreasing student absenteeism and ultimately reducing healthcare costs overall. It's an interesting, innovative way to uh, to really drive better usage of healthcare at the school. The last one uh, that we'll point to that they talk about here in the article are folks that, that don't have insurance or maybe underinsured even. And a lot of times they seek care anyway obviously, if they need it. And a lot of times they're visiting the ER. Many times I have a teaching hospital, but but in any case, find themselves in the emergency room. The University of Colorado School of Medicine are among some that run what they call student-run free clinics, another four-letter acronym, SRFCs, in which faculty supervise students, residents, and other trainees provide free care to the uninsured. A number of AAMC member institutions with these clinics have more than doubled since the last survey, and they're now present, they say, at more than 75% of medical schools. So actually, quite honestly, a really great use case for you know getting people, one, clinicians some training and real-life real experience, but also taking care of the community. That's such an innovative way to ultimately increase what we call patient acquisition. In this particular case, it's trying to ensure that underserved populations have access to care. The fourth area that we're going to focus in on are how to collaborate with non-healthcare industries. This is also a huge white space in patient acquisition. So first of all, partnering with businesses outside of the traditional healthcare sector, like technology, fitness, or nutritional companies, could lead to innovative care models and expand the reach to new patient populations. And just the other day, Becker's Hospital Review, remember Becker's, we have that Scott on the show, right? They highlighted 34 innovative programs to know. Now, we're only going to 
touch on a few here, but it's a great article. So look at the show notes and, and click in on it. Well, first one that we'll point to is Banner Health. Many of you all know that's out in the Phoenix area, but the Banner Innovation Group formed in 2019 focuses on testing new tools First on a small scale to gauge, you know, kind of what the value is to the organization before they scale it. An instance of this is a smart wait list, which offers our earlier imaging appointments via text based on patient acuity. So it's uh, reduced, you know, uh, helped to reduce at least no shows, obviously grows the referral to appointment conversion and improves, you know, cancellation backfilling. So Now they're looking at, well, how do we move this out to other facilities and other parts of the organizations? You know, a few other things that they're doing, different bots like at the discharge, AI-based symptom checkers, some digital therapeutics, you know, et cetera. They've, what I would consider, they've put something in place to really consider this more broadly across the organization, right? Some frameworks and governance. It's really innovative. They're not the only health system. Again, there's 34 highlighted here, but here's one other one that we want to look at is Oxner Health, which is in New Orleans. In September, they launched a pilot program that uses AI to draft messages to patients via an online portal. Now, it's meant to speed up patient communications with their patients in person. We're hearing about this happening more and more frequently. It also piloted Uh, a remote monitoring program for patients with hypertension and type 2 diabetes. This whole program is under Oxner Ventures, which is an innovation program, which they just recently celebrated one year. In its portfolio, they're holding 11 early-stage healthcare delivery companies. So again, we're starting to see more and more innovation occur. And these two examples really underscore how we can leverage these partnerships and collaborations with non-healthcare industries to really drive acquisition of patients, in some cases new patients, in some cases existing patients. And that's really when we talk about new patient acquisition and the white space of patient acquisition, Reed, we really are talking about how do we engage better with our patients. So let's take a quick pause. We'll come back really briefly after this pause. We'll map these white space opportunities against these different patient types being new and potential patients, existing patients, and last patients to show some really great opportunities right after this pause. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's do this, Reed. Let's let's just really quickly let's address how these white space opportunities can be used to reach new potential patients, existing patients, and lapsed patients, right? Patients that have somehow dropped off your care, and we want to re- re-engage them. Let's 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 go through them again. Let's talk about them. Yeah. The first one we talked about was the advanced use of data analytics for predictive health. And so I think for new patients, you know, obviously you're looking at more tech savvy individuals, those that are interested in kind of that proactive, you know, taking an active role, if you will, in their health management, that type of thing. So, I mean, that's that's a new patient population if you're looking at it from a segmentation standpoint. You know, when we're looking at existing patients this obviously helps to enhance that retention, you know, so we're giving more personalized care, 
or being more anticipatory around what it is that they need, obviously then improving outcomes, trust, et cetera. For those that have been in and you know, you're trying to get back in, allows you to understand what they need and reach out to them. Could be some preventative care opportunities. It could be, you know, allowing you to demonstrate your commitment to, you know, kind of more of their personalized or long-term care, whether you're looking to acquire or uh, retain or, or even reactivate. I think being more predictive kind of hits all three of those populations pretty squarely. So now let's go to the second white space we identified, innovative payment models and affordability transparency. For new patients, you can really appeal to those consumers, those individuals that are cost conscious by offering these clear, affordable care options, a differentiating from competitors. That's a tricky slope, as we talked about, but still kind of a great one. For existing patients, it's really about reinforcing the loyalty they have with you by being transparent, flexible with payment options, reduce financial stress associated with healthcare. And that's for lapsed patients. You can attract back patients who may have left due to cost concerns by offering these transparent and affordable care options. Again, a great way to help with your patient acquisition efforts. So we're looking now uh, at the underserved populations, which is the third thing on our list. Certainly from an acquisition standpoint, you're potentially offering services, resources to folks that can't find it elsewhere uh, in a lot of cases. And so again, you're being specific and you know serving what the community needs for your existing patients. It's very probable that people you're seeing today need parts and pieces or help in certain areas. You know, they may just need some help with transportation or just need some help with they're just a little underinsured and need some help there or something like that. Where, you know, people that have come and haven't been back in a while allows you to re-engage because again, much like the acquisition side, it may be that, you know, they're being underserved and they just don't fit anywhere else, or maybe they felt neglected in the past, things like that. So lastly, when we talk about collaborations with non-healthcare industries, here, across all three of these categories of patient types, it's really about designing these innovative and new approaches to serve those different needs. For new and potential patients, you can attract a, a more diverse range of patients, including those interested in some of these innovative approaches and services. For existing patients, it's like really providing them new ways that they can engage with you that might enhance their overall experience, introduce new ways that they can actually have a seamless path of care through their experience by introducing telehealth or whatever. And then lapsed patients, it's really reattracting them by saying, look, we know why you, you left us. Let's bring you back and potentially address some of those gaps that you're looking at by making it easier for us to, to care for you. Each of these white space strategies, Reed, that we talk about can be effectively tailored to address those needs and preferences of new and potential patients, existing patients, and those patients that have got out of care and come back. Reed and I are not saying here that these are easy. These are probably some of the most difficult things you can do around patient acquisition, but these are the ones that are going to help us to differentiate us against our competitors. This is just such an interesting space and an interesting opportunity that, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear what folks are seeing and hearing. We threw out a few examples throughout. You know, you heard different health systems names or programs and all kinds of different stuff. But, you know, we'd love to hear from folks about what they're seeing and doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. With that, we're going to take one last pause and then we'll be back to close out the show. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, Chris, another great show, another great topic. And uh, I know we're getting... Close to the end of the year here. So again, quick plug for the TPS report. You can find it over there on the website at touchpoint.health. That'll allow you to, one, get a few extra articles uh, in a week that uh, hopefully are a little value add for you, but also give you a link to the end of year survey. And so we'd appreciate support and thoughts there. Certainly feel free to reach out. LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. I'd love to uh, connect and see you know how we're doing and, 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 and uh, you know if we're if we're hitting the mark, if there's people we should talk to, topics we should cover, et cetera, reach out and let us know. Before we call it a week, a uh, couple recommendations. Well, Randy, you probably can hear my voice. I'm suffering from a little bit of a cold that I pick up from my little guy who's in daycare. You know, it's the age-old story that it gets sick all the time. So when you're sick, the best thing you can do is get a lot of rest and hydrate. So my recommendation is going to be around the ladder, which is hydration. I drink so much water and tea when I'm sick. It's just like... I'm just wondering if there's a better way to optimize my hydration. And recently we we came across something that we now make it very standard. Once a day, I use liquid IV in my water to help me overhydrate. Now you may ask, what is liquid liquid IV, right? What is it? It's actually a product that's designed to be a hydration multiplier. It's filled with electrolytes. It can help you hydrate faster than just drinking water alone. It's flavored. There's a sugar-free version. It's infused with not only the extra electrolytes to help you uh, hydrate better, they put immune system things into it like vitamin C and vitamin D and other things like that. It's very, very useful, particularly when you're sick. In fact, I'm sipping on it right now as we're recording this podcast. So if you're a person that likes to uh, hydrate and you're just looking for ways to extra hydrate, I strongly suggest pick up some liquid IV, pour it into your water. It's a powder you add to your water. It makes it so much easier and it really helps. So that's my recommendation. Very, very cool. I am going to recommend an app. Uh, There's uh, certainly I downloaded it on the iPhone or iPad iOS app, but there's uh, other versions as well for on the Google store, et cetera. Anyway, it's called Empty. Everything must go. Whoa. They uh, say it's a relaxing puzzle game to unwind with. Each level teaches you the value of simplicity in life. Ooh. So it's a unique puzzle mechanics. So you have to clear each room that you're looking at. And again, you're going to have to kind of look at this to see, make it make sense. But you have to uh, kind of clear the room by rotating your phone around and seeing things disappear. It's just one touch controls, no ads, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's fine. I mean, it's well done, well designed app. So if, again, if you like puzzles and want something on your phone that you can kind of pass the time with, uh, go check out Empty. I like the concept of it too, about yes. simplicity. I'll yes. check that out. Yes. There you go. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We certainly appreciate it. Again, another week in the books. Thanks for tuning in to episode 361. Reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to hear kind of what you're thinking as the year wraps up as you get ready to start another one. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week.
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.